Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Greetings, and I'm glad you can join us today for another in our series called Grace Stories. This series is designed to let people tell their stories so that you might identify with some aspect of the story or at least appreciate God's grace and how it worked in other people's lives to change them and to steer them and guide them into a productive and free and full life. Our guest today is a special friend of mine I've known since seminary days, and we've managed to keep in touch in some ways. Our paths have crossed occasionally, and and, uh, he has agreed to talk about his story a little bit today. Dr. Tony Evans is going to join us in just a minute, and uh, his story, of course, is going to be focused largely on his ministry because most of his life has been focused on ministry. He started Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship over 40 years ago. It's now 10,000. It started with 10 people, and now it's 10,000 people. And he has started other ministries like Urban Alternative and Tony Evans Training Center for people who don't have access and cannot afford traditional training. He has radio and YouTube ministries, and he's written over 100 books and booklets. Tony is so prolific and well-known around the world that he's been chosen as, as one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world. That's quite an honor. And it's an honor for me to know him. Unfortunately, Tony lost his wife, Lois, three years ago. But his four children continue in ministry with very fruitful and successful ministries. So it was very good to talk with him and just ask him a few questions about his story and about how his life is going. And I hope you enjoy his story. So I'm with Dr. Tony Evans, well-known around the world as chiefly an expositor of the Word, uh, which I always appreciate, but also pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship Church in uh, the Dallas area, and he's got other irons in the fire. We might we might mention those things, too, author of over 100 books and booklets, for example. So welcome, Tony. Hello, my good friend. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, so am I and all the listeners as well. Now, I got to say, you're from Maryland, and so am I. You're from the Baltimore area, and I'm from the Washington, D.C. suburbs area. Do you miss Maryland? Uh, No, I'm a Texan. I've been here too long. (laughs) I still go back. I I, I can get to go back enough to remember, but not to dwell. (laughs) Well, that was my question. One question, you have family and friends there now? Well, I have one brother left, uh, and uh, that's the that's the only family that immediate family that I have left, and uh, and, and we have a lot of acquaintances back there, but not as much anymore. Yeah, well, I usually try to go back every year or so and visit friends, family, and supporters. Um, I do have to ask you one very sensitive question, though: Were you a Colts or Redskins fan in the day? <laughs> I was definitely a Baltimore. Colts fan, Johnny Unitas, Lenny Moore, Raymond Barry. Yep. I was a Baltimore Colts fan. Now, was that awkward when you came down to Dallas and became the the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys? (laughs) Well, yep. I I did like uh, many Christians shouldn't do. I switched loyalties. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I got to ask you, isn't your youngest son playing pro ball right now? 
Well, he he finished. He uh he's now taking my place as chaplain of the Cowboys. Right. So he yeah. for a few years. Now he's chaplain of the Cowboys and working with me in ministry. And he 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 went to Dallas Seminary after he finished playing and got his master's degree. Okay. Well, praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Well, you you probably had to uh, cheer his team on for a while too. So you're back with yeah, the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell one little story bef- before we dig into some deeper conversation. Uh, decades ago, when I started Burleson Bible Church, I asked you to come out and speak to our men's dinner, evangelistic dinner that we were having. Let's see if you remember this. Your opening line, they still remember and they remind me of it today. You said when uh, Charlie called me and asked me to speak tonight, he asked if I believed in free speech. And then I, you said, of course I do. And then Charlie said, well, good, because we can't afford to pay you anything. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good line. And it got a good laugh, but, you know, it was pretty close to reality. So <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you doing that. So, Tony, take us back to Baltimore. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, maybe in, including there your religious upbringing. And uh, then tell us how you became a Christian, if you would. Yeah, well, I was born into a non-Christian family, but a religious family. My folks went to the church. My father was a musician at the church, mm-hmm. but he had never had a clear presentation of the gospel. One day, my mother was invited by a friend of hers to go to church with her. It was a small Plymouth Brethren church, mm-hmm. and she told my father to go with her. My father went with her, and some men shared the gospel with him. First time he clearly understood it. He came home and trusted Christ. Hmm. As a, a savior, and uh, and he was radically transformed. I mean, he was Bible studies. I mean, he fell in love with the word. Now, my mother didn't like him as a sinner, but she couldn't stand him as a saint. I mean, <laughs> she made life miserable for him. Oh, no. But a year later, she came downstairs and said, "What well, uh, you've changed so much. Whatever you have must be real. How can I have it too?" He led her to Christ. Oh my God. Then he led the four of us. I was about 11 years old at that point. Then uh, he led the four of us. I'm the oldest of four to Christ. And I trusted Christ at that time. And uh, that changed the trajectory of my destiny. Sure did. Sure did. So that puts you on a, a Christian path. But what puts you on a, a ministry path? When I was 18, the little church I was a part of was had a, a, a we participated in a um, evangelistic campaign. And in that evangelistic campaign, the evangelist, Dr. B. Sam Hart from Philadelphia, uh, preached an opening message, not for sinners to become saints, but saints to become committed. And uh, it was at that meeting that I committed myself to ministry, and that that created a whole new trajectory of life. Mm -hmm. I began to get connected with him God opened up some doors through him. I met my wife. And, I mean, and the story unfolded from there. Well, that's great. You didn't, I know you went to Dallas Theological Seminary, but uh, wh- where did you first seek ministry training? Uh, I started at Carver Bible College in Atlanta, Georgia, which was where this evangelist recommended that I go for biblical training. Mm-hmm. So I went there for four years and the professor there um, uh, challenged me to go to Dallas. Okay. And uh, you were the first African-American to graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary with a doctorate degree, right? Doctor. Yeah, that was quite quite an honor, kind of an honor. I mean, the, the reality was, if I would have gone a few years later, African-Americans weren't accepted at Dallas. Uh, but th- that changed. I didn't in, know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I was the 
the fourth black student in the master's program, the first to get a doctorate because it, it did not allow African-Americans a few years before I came. Wow. How about that? That's an interesting piece of history there. Um, well, Dallas has come a long way. Thank God. Um, so when you're in Dallas, obviously you're tra- uh, uprooted from your ministry in Maryland, which is similar to what happened with me. How did you reestablish ministry in the Dallas area? Well, I was accepted into the doctorate program. I decided while doing the doctorate, let me do ministry. So I started a Bible study while I was working on my degree. Mm-hmm. And the Bible study grew. <laughs> so I'm working on my degree and uh, and working on this Bible study that's growing. And we decided that, well, since it's growing, let's uh, let's pursue a church. I was part of an organization, working with an organization called Black Evangelistic Enterprise, which established churches in urban centers. Mm-hmm. They challenged me that why don't I do that as part of my practice of ministry while I'm getting my biblical training in ministry. And uh, that that became the base for everything else that uh, God has done through that. And so did Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship come out of that, out of that Bible study? Fellowship came out of the Bible study, June 6, 1976. 1976. So I'm curious how many people were in that Bible study to begin with? We began with 10 people. 10 people. And what do you claim is your membership today or attendance today? It's close to 10,000. From 10 to 10,000. Well, that's by the grace of God, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's not evangelistically speaking. <laughs> I know that. Right? I know this can get strange, but <laughs> but that, that, those are our real numbers, yeah. No, I've been to your church several times. I, I, I've seen the numbers. So uh, so I'm curious also about uh, who has been your major influences and mentors, perhaps, as uh, from the beginning of your time of ministry or later. Who has really spoken into your life? Well, it always starts with my father because he laid the groundwork and the foundation. Mm-hmm. There was a man named Tom Skinner, a famous evangelist in New York. Mm-hmm. He was a gang leader who became converted, and he would talk a lot about the kingdom. And, and that, of course, has become a major part of my theme. But yeah. he was kind of ahead of his time and a powerful preacher. B. Sam Hart was the one who had the evangelistic campaign who I worked with during the summers in ministry. And, and then um, in college, I had two professors, Howard Dial and John McNeil, who poured into my life. I spent a lot of time with them outside of class. And then at Dallas Seminary, uh, Charles Ryrie and Haddon Robinson mm-hmm. were the two professors who I was closest to and who uh, imparted into my life. Well, you can't go wrong with those guys. That's great. Um, you know, I really appreciate your pre- clear preaching of the gospel of grace. and um, I recently re-looked at your book, Totally Saved, which I really wish would get a wider distribution. It was published by Moody Press. I think it still is. And Totally Saved is such a great um, comprehensive statement about the gospel, salvation, grace, assurance, uh, eternal security. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's just a really, really good book. The two, It was published in 2002, I believe, something like that. Has your view, did you, did you come into that view of the gospel? Did it evolve or did it sharpen over time? How, how did it come to where it is expressed in that book? It came out of great confusion. (laughs) Um, Uh uh, When when I was coming along early in ministry, while I was early part of college, the issue of Calvinism, which I didn't know much about came up and the Calvinistic 
view of uh, the tulip view mm-hmm. um, threw me into great confusion. Mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, I saw the logic of the system, mm-hmm. but I didn't see. I, I didn't. It didn't fit together in terms of the biblical understanding that I had had previous to that, right. which was more of a grace foundation. And that led to a whole lot of issues related to assurance and what's the ground of assurance and do you pray enough? Do you read your Bible enough? I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that just threw out all kind of confusion. Uh, and so I wrestled with the doctrine, including election and all of that. Uh, and I was hearing two different strands. Okay, I was hearing the Calvinistic view and the the, what you, what we would call today more right. of the free grace view. Mm-hmm. So I came to Dallas Seminary. And when I came to Dallas Seminary, I met Zane Hodges. Right. And Zane Hodges, his ex, exegetical, expositional, academic, yet relevant ministry approach to understanding the gospel, understanding uh, debated passages related to the gospel, is really what brought the greatest amount of clarity to me in terms of understanding the doctrine of grace and the application of grace. I spent a lot of personal time with Zane Hodges eating lunch. He started attending our church. He would attend our church on a regular basis. And uh, so I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of my theology one-on-one with Zane Hodges and it was a very powerful uh, time. He he was the greatest influencer to ameliorate a lot of the confusion related to to the issue of of grace that has been just magnificent. Yeah, I was a few years behind you, I think, at seminary, but he had a great influence on me also, and I spent a lot of time with him as well. So I owe a lot to him as well. So uh, the thing about preaching a clear gospel of grace and uh, assurance and eternal security is people often say, well, you're just giving people a license to sin, an excuse to sin. How do you answer them? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I say that is a misunderstanding of grace because it's just the opposite. The deeper you go in understanding grace, the more you feel about sin the way God feels about sin uh, because it's the grace of God uh, that has freed us from the bondage of sin. So it's understanding not only that grace involves salvation for eternity, but empowerment for history. And when you understand the empowerment of grace and not only the salvation by grace, then you get a fuller understanding of grace's reality and its built-in battery pack for mm-hmm. uh for spiritual transformation. Um and 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 when that that is happening, when you're operating in grace, then you're operating on the same wavelength of the work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Holy Spirit is going to do His convicting work in our lives about sin. Mm-hmm. Very good. So when you're preaching to ten thousand people, well, you're preaching to a worldwide audience. That's minimal minimalizing it. I mean, you're preaching to the worldwide audience. How does grace influence how you handle and preach the Word of God? Well, it. It becomes a foundational doctrine through which the whole scripture is being viewed. Um, grace, this unmerited favor 
of God where God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It, it starts with what God has provided, not what I do for God, but it becomes a motivation for what I do for God because I'm responding to what he has done to, through, and in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you, when you leave grace and go to law and a works-based um, emphasis, you, you throw out a lot of confusion because people don't know quite what, what to believe. But in addition to that, you a lot of self-effort is being used to replace divine enablement. With a grace protocol, if I can call it that, mm-hmm. you're leaning on divine enablement to do the work that you're commanded to do. So grace does not cancel responsibility. Grace, in, grace enables responsibility to be met spiritually, biblically, and effectively. And so I will thread uh, the, the theology of grace as a foundational mindset and approach and biblical framework for which all other truths should be plugged into and linked. Hmm. Well said. So grace is not only central in our salvation, it's central in our sanctification as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and while, while we know we're saved by grace through this process of, of, of faith, trusting in the provision of the cross, uh, uh, it is, is the it is a springboard to pleasing the Lord in our lives because of the grace that saves as well as the grace that sanctifies. Right. Very good. Well, Tony, I also know that uh, you've spoken a lot into this uh, issue of racial reconciliation. How do you see grace fitting into that? Oh, powerful. Uh, you know, when um, when Paul writes. In Ephesians 2, about the one new man, he brings it back to the cross. Mm-hmm. He starts with, with the cross being a bridge to, to racial harmony. When Paul was correcting Peter about his racial animus in Galatians 2, mm-hmm. he says, you know, you've abandoned the gospel. But wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Peter's already saved. He's already on his way to heaven. Mm-hmm. So how did he abandon the truth of the gospel? Because he had abandoned what grace has done in clarifying his identity. You know, one of my favorite passages is Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I as Christ who lives in me, the life which I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What most people who quote that verse don't do is attach it to the story where Paul is talking to Peter about his racial uh, mix-up. That's true. And he brings it back to a, a new identity we have that grace gives us in the gospel. So if we started with the gospel and the identity that we have in Christ, then we've started at the right place to address the racial issue. And we haven't started with culture that never gives us a solution. Yeah, it never does really. And grace really, the grace and the gospel really is the answer to, to all the world's problems, much less the racial issue that, that we have. So that's it. That's great. Great insight into Galatians chapter two. Um, let me ask you this: Of all the books that you've written, a hundred or so with uh, in booklets, um, uh, which would you wish people would read first? Well, I would probably say the Kingdom Agenda because that's the worldview. Mm-hmm. The Kingdom Agenda is defined as the visible manifestation of the comprehensive rule of God over every 
every area of life. And what we're saying is, you know, I believe that the central theme of scripture is the glory of God through the advancement of his kingdom and that everything plugs into that. And so we try to show how in the four spheres of life, individual, family, church, and community, all of life, which there's no aspect of life that doesn't fit into one or more of those categories, is to be affected and infected by this kingdom worldview that's undergirded by grace. So, so that's the worldview. And then, of course, we have so many kingdom books that have come off of that. Yeah. <laughs> At yeah. the, so you, this, you're, you're speaking mainly of the universal rule of God over all the earth. Um, you believe certainly in a future kingdom as well. Oh, absolutely. The kingdom that is to come when Jesus sets up his millennial reign, that that in on our way there to that kingdom, we are to be modeling the principles of the kingdom. So there will be the physical kingdom when Christ comes, but we are his representatives today to model the kingdom values and kingdom principles so that people get previews of coming attractions. Mm, that's great. Um, let me, uh, can you say a word also about, uh, like the, uh, Tony Evans training center that you've got, you started in 2017? Yes. Yes. Tony Evans training center is where we give biblical training online. Uh, a lot of people will never get to go to seminary or to, in a formal way. So it was designed to give that we have a, a 48 courses now up and people can come on and, and work their way through. We have certifications. It was designed to take the principles of the kingdom based on grace and make it available to people worldwide. And we had the privilege of writing the study Bible, the Tony Evans study Bible and Tony Evans Bible mm -hmm. commentary to lay that template out in terms of biblical interpretation. And now that's threaded through these courses. We will have uh, 50 courses up by the end of 23. That's amazing. Are you the, are you the main teacher in all of them? Um, yeah, and, and most of them, but now we're beginning to expand beyond that. No, that's great. You know, I heard a st statistic uh, several times that less than 5% of the world's pastors have formal theological training. So uh, we have a kindred spirit in that because that's what I do largely overseas. I train pastors that don't have access or opportunity or finances to, to afford training. We try to get them grounded in grace and other important doctrines, Bible study methods, things like that. So that's accessible all over the world. Have you been getting response from other parts of the world? Well, yeah. English speaking yeah. world, right? Yeah, yes. Well, but we're looking at going to Spanish next. But uh, we have about uh, two th over 2,000 students now, and it's growing exponentially. And uh, we are now getting responses outside the United States. Yes. 2,000. That's great. I tell you, the Spanish speaking world will eat it up. Um, yeah. We're getting a huge response from Spanish translated materials. So I encourage you to do that. Now, let's talk about your study Bible because uh, I hear some really good things. People really like it. Um, with all the study Bibles out there, why do we need yours? <laughs> what, <laughs> how question. is it different? I should. That's a kind of rude way of putting it. How is it different? Well, no, that, that is uh, that's a fair way because there are a lot of study Bibles out there. I think the thing that will set it apart is the kingdom thematic all the way through it. This, the kingdom worldview is all the way through it from the Genesis when God said, "Let us let us uh, let them rule." Uh, all the way to Jesus Christ setting up his kingdom in Revelation, that threat, that theme threads through it. All the doctrines, the, the narratives, the, the bi uh, biographies, the, uh, uh, all of that is designed to, to set up the template that God had when he created man to act on his behalf and rule on his behalf in history. And so we have that theme and that's what sets it apart. But there are a lot of supplemental materials. There are QR codes in there yeah. of teaching. There are, are doctrinal displays in there. So there are a 
lot of supplemental materials as well. Yeah, it's just jam jam packed with all kinds of uh, uh, appendices or supplemental things, and the QR codes take you to videos and so forth. It's really really neat Bible. I really like it. So thank you. I hope it gets widespread, and I hope uh, a lot of people get that. Well, it's doing well, and we're we're excited about it. And then it has the accompanying commentary, so we can it has commentary in the Bible, and then we have a fuller separate commentary. So it's a it was ten years of work. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> ten years of work. How how do they access the commentary? Is that a, a separate volume? The see yeah, the uh, there's a study Bible, and then there's a separate volume of the commentary. Okay, good. Well, Tony, I, your your children seem to have their own success in ministry, which is just great. I'm sure you're very proud of them. Uh, when you look back at your life and look forward to the years to come of ministry, uh, what do you want people to to know you for? Um, advancing the kingdom agenda. Oh, there you go. Advancing that kingdom worldview, because that is, uh, you know, I love the last two verses of the book of Acts which says Paul received all who came to him and he preached to them the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus Christ. So boom, there it is. That's it. That's it. Well, well, that's great. Well, Tony, look, I appreciate your time today and uh, it was great, great talking to you and catching up with you. Thank you. And thank you for the great work that you do in, in uh, teaching people about the magnificent grace of God. Well, let's let's just keep preaching the word and uh, bring people out of that confusion into the wonderful light and freedom of grace. Amen. Amen. We'll see you later, Tony. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tony. He's quite a man of God. He's totally committed to ministry sharing his life, and sharing the gospel of grace with others. I strongly encourage you to look up some of the resources that he has online and just about everywhere. And some of his books, I especially recommend if you're interested in a free grace position of theology, his book, Totally Saved. It was put out by Moody Press. So look that up as well. And of course, what Tony is trying to say, as we all have been trying to say, is that our salvation depends not on anything that we do, but on the work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross when he paid for our sins and then rose from the dead and offers us the gift of eternal life through faith. In other words, not by joining a church, not by doing good deeds, not by living a good life, not by taking communion or baptism, but simply by believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin. We can live forever with Him. If you haven't done that, why don't you just pause today and let God speak to you uh, through your faith in Him. Ask Him to save you, and He will save you eternally, and you can be with Him forever. That's my prayer for you, and I thank you that you have joined us today. And as always, I will say the usual thing. If you would, give us a rating, give us a comment. We appreciate you listening in today. Until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.